Welcome to the Get Wealthy Podcast, where wellness doesn't suck. I'm your host, Michelle Smith. We feeling wealthy, uh, we getting healthy, uh, we feeling wealthy, uh, we getting healthy, uh, we drinking green. Welcome to Get Wealthy, where wellness doesn't suck. I am your host, Michelle Smith. And I'm joined by my temporary co-host, Brad Smith. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. And I know it won't be when this comes out, but happy birthday. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're actually shuffled things around, so it'll be like not that far removed from my birthday. Okay. Well, happy... 35th. Happy birthday. 30th. I mean, how old am I? Happy birthday in the future. How? Thank you. Oh, so I get to celebrate next week, too. Perfect. No. We'll celebrate again on Tuesday. Oh, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> um, how old am I getting when now 35 is like my young birthday? Like at 27, I would have been like, oh, that's so old. Talking about 35, you mean? Yeah. And now, yeah, 35. That's like such a ripe little chick. <laughs> chicken. Is that the term? A ripe chicken? I don't think anybody, Ripe chick? I don't think anybody <laughs> I don't think it's a term. I think everybody says ripe chick or ripe no. chicken. Well, you could call me a ripe chick, and I would be totally fine with Are you that. going for spring chicken? Maybe, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just, just so, this, is, this is actually a good little window into Michelle and our life. That Michelle, I mean, God bless her. She is an amazing, intelligent person. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh... But she can't remember, like, a phrase or a term... Like, to save her life. The, you know what it is? I think the output of whatever is happening in my mind, it's like the... And we'll, we, this episode <laughs> is a perfect example of that. There's so much shit going on in my mind that something in the, like, translation and the output just doesn't always translate. But thank God you live with me and you it's like a beautiful mind. Yeah, I, I, I speak I speak Michelle. It's like that movie. It's like... I speak Michelle. I'm used to it. When she says, you know, that she's biting at the chomp, I know oh, that she means that she's chomping at the bit. I think that 50% of the people listening to this probably say that. So I'm not going to think that's <laughs> like a really good example of it. All right. Well, I'm going to hold you to uh, ripe chicken. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do a poll on our Instagram. Which one is it? What? Babe, Biting at the chomp or chomping at the bit? Babe, you're going to get that wrong by like 90 50%. It's a 50-50. I no, think. I say it's like in the 80s or 90s. It's a very common term. Not if you're under 80. Oh my gosh. Anyways, Anyhow. let's talk about today's episode. I was so excited um, to talk to this week's guest, Dr. Judson Brewer. He is a New York Times bestselling author. His new book, Unwinding Anxiety, just released and just hit New York Times bestseller, which, as you'll know in the podcast when we talk to him, we're the first podcast that gets to introduce him as a New York Times bestselling <laughs> author, which is awesome. Dr. Judd is an internationally renowned addiction psychiatrist and neuroscientist. He is the director of research and innovation at Brown University's Mindfulness Center, as well as an associate professor in both the School of Public Health and the Medis- and the Medical School at Brown. So he knows what he's talking about. His book is so awesome. So here's what I was thinking about. Okay. Look into my mind again. <laughs> This book is so helpful. We talk Buckle about up, <laughs> we talk about anxiety a lot on here, and I think increasingly so as we try to address and undo what this last year has done yeah. for so many of us. Um, and this book really just kind of peels back the layers, and he talks to us about it, about getting to the root and understanding how our brain works. Mm-hmm. And so as I've been moving through this book, I realized, okay, you know how annoying it is when you have a necklace, like chains on a necklace that are like three necklaces all tangled up and they're so hard to unknot? OMG, I hate that. Yeah, I'm going to give you mine next time. <laughs> it's awful and you look at it and it's just a big mess. But if there was a guide to say, start with the clasp and do this and then this, like he just helps you unravel it and have it make sense like very... Really, succinctly. Play, really playing into the title of the book there, huh? I Unwinding know. anxiety. <laughs> Even the... the Ah, oh, Michelle, your analogy is so out of left field. <laughs> the cover of the book, the, you, you, go, you guys should go on to Amazon, 
if you are going to buy the book, at least look at the cover of the book. I think this is what triggered me to think. <laughs> it's like a tangled necklace. You think? And you just pull one little thing. And he just helps you unwind your necklace or anxiety. I don't know if the tactics would help do the necklace, but they're phenomenal for anxiety. All right. With that, I think we should bring Dr. Judd on. Let's do it. We are now here with Dr. Judd Brewer. Dr. Judd, welcome to Get Wealthy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. We are very excited. And before we get into anything, I want to give you a giant congratulations on New York Times bestseller. Thank you. Thank you. Oh <laughs> wow. It's, I'm humbled and amazed. That is fantastic. It's funny because I, I, I had your book before that. So when I saw that online, I was so excited for you and I've never <laughs> met you, but I was just excited. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, so you are the author of a new book, Unwinding Anxiety. And a New York Times bestseller. And New York Times. Are we the first <laughs> podcast that gets to introduce you as this? Yes, you are. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're just going to ride those coattails. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so I, we talk a lot about anxiety on this show. The premise is, is that we don't think wellness is just about, you know, food and exercise, although food and exercise get so much glory in the health and wellness space. Um, anxiety is something so many people, as you know, struggle with. And especially after this last year, I just don't know that we all have the tools to be, you know, managing this properly. And your book is such a wonderful exploration of that. Also in it, it dovetails with this last year, which you've done such a great job of. So thank you for that. It's a much needed mm -hmm. resource. <laughs> well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you've gotten into studying this, what was interesting about it to you, and what prompted you to write the book? I'd be happy to. So I'm an addiction psychiatrist. I'm a neuroscientist. I, you know, I'm an associate professor at Brown University and also the executive medical director of, uh, of behavioral health at, at ShareCare, this company that, that helps uh, people with, you know, help, helps deliver digital therapeutics uh, mm -hmm. for improving people's well-being. And, you know, I, <laughs> I can say I've had my own anxiety yeah. and anxieties for myself uh, as well. Yes, I was going to say, we, we all have right. anxiety of some sort. And I didn't even notice or know that I had anxiety back in college. I think I start the book talking about how I had GI symptoms, mm -hmm. uh, and I thought it was a bacterial infection, and in fact, it was anxiety. And I had no idea that I could actually you know, be so anxious that I would, uh, let's just say my uh, GI tract wasn't functioning optimally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can read between the lines, really. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, to when I had finished my MD-PhD program was starting as a relatively uh, in residency, actually. I used to get panic attacks, mm -hmm. uh, not the most stress-free job being a resident physician. Yeah. And then also when I started my own clinic, I uh, was struggling with helping my own patients with anxiety. Just to give you a sense for this, they're the best medications out there, there's this term in medicine called number needed to treat, mm -hmm. which means how many patients you need to treat with a a certain medication before one person shows a significant benefit, mm -hmm. that number is 5.15, which means I have to treat five patients before one person shows this effect. Oh my God. So I was basically playing the uh, treatment lottery, you know, right. a patient would come in and I didn't know which one would be helped and which other four I didn't know what to do with. Yeah. So, so I was actually, I was studying, my lab was studying habits and how to break bad habits. And we'd had some pretty good success with smoking. For example, we had a study mm -hmm. where we got five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment within, with a mindful training program for smoking we'd even done we developed an app called eat right now and these these apps anybody can download them um a study at ucsf uh found that we, they get a this app could get a 40 percent reduction in craving related eating oh. and one of the one of the folks using that program said to me you know, i don't know if it was an email or something like this said hey i'm noticing that anxiety triggers me to eat can you make a program for anxiety mm -hmm. and so you know, I was thinking, well, I prescribe medications, but then it kind of put a bug in my ear and I started thinking about this. And of course, as a researcher, I went back and looked at the literature and there was this 
rich literature from the 1980s that I had never learned in residency or medical school that anxiety could be driven like other habits. So of course, as a researcher, I wanted to develop a program so we could test it, right? Yeah. So we developed this unwinding anxiety app, tested it. We got 57% reduction in clinically validated anxiety scores in anxious physicians. We got a 67% reduction in these scores in people with generalized anxiety disorder. And we could calculate that number needed to treat, which was 1.6 oh as compared to 5.15 for medications. So, you know, that plus a bunch of work in my clinic uh, and we worked out the mechanisms of how this was working, that all of that prompted me to put this book together, which is not just focused on anxiety, mm -hmm. but also uh, all the related habits, you know, these, you know, the, what was called the quarantine 15 is now called the quarantine 20 and the quarantine 30 <laughs> where people yeah. are gaining weight the and all of that. So on, the more that number goes up. Yeah. So whether it's procrastination or social media or drinking or eating, uh, it's not just learning how to work with the anxiety, but also learning to work with these other habits that have been formed over the last year or longer than the last year for folks uh, that have had struggled with those longer than, the, than 2020. Yeah. Did you, when you got those results that it reduced down to 1.6, were you surprised or, you know, were you kind of expecting that as you dove into that work a little bit more? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I think my eyes literally popped out of my head. It's <laughs> uh, a, so, a huge Yeah. Huge difference. You know, right. So, and I know how hard it is to treat anxiety because I'd been doing it for years. And so, you know, the first, the first thing was with, this is with anxious physicians. So we wanted to start with the, one of the most difficult populations <laughs> to work with. And I say this cause I am one of those guys because yeah. we learn in medical school, like to armor up and to, you know, put our feelings to a side and all this. And it was just why we all get burnt out. Cause yeah. we have these, you, you know, these process it. Right. And we're not taking care of ourselves. You know, it's yeah. like, um, what's the thing in the airplane first put on your own, yeah. <laughs> you know, oxygen mask before trying to help others. Well, we yeah. didn't learn that in medical school. <laughs> we're supposed to hold our breath, I guess, you know, <laughs> when, when the cabin loses breath. pressure. Yeah. So, so we started here and I, I was thinking, wow, 57, that's pretty remarkable. But this was a small trial with a single arm. And that's when we got this NIH funding to do this larger trial in a randomized controlled trial. So we could make sure that it wasn't, you know, just a fluke mm -hmm. and it, the results were even better. So that's, and then we did a third study. I won't go into it, working with anxiety and sleep, but showing we can get significant reductions there. So when, after three really strong clinical studies, you know, the hallmark of science is replication and yeah. boom, we replicated this three times or we'd had three studies now that were all very positive. Yeah. Well, and, and for me, as somebody who also struggles with anxiety and that is so hopeful because much like you, mine started in college and it went from the anxiety to the panic attacks. And that was even, what, 20 years ago? And there weren't <laughs> a lot of resources for it. Mm -hmm. And even in the last 20 years, as I've paid attention and I've come to understand it for myself, like there's just so much more information and it's so much more hopeful, I feel, for people that do struggle with it, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Because I know in college, I was like, what the hell is going on? And is this forever? Mm -hmm. And it does feel very hopeless when you don't have the resources or tools or understanding that there are things you can do. Yes. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I didn't even know how my mind worked. You oh, know? So it was kind of like feeling around in the dark in a, in a room with no light. And then, yep. you know, this suddenly helps us flip that light switch on and see, oh, this is how my mind works. And oh, you know, simple, not necessarily easy, but simple solutions that really all stem from awareness. Yep. I had no awareness of it. And I, I remember this one time in particular, I was driving home from Southern California back up to Northern California for Thanksgiving. And my anxiety was just through the roof. Like it was just, I thought I was going to die on the way home. It was just awful. And I remember specifically thinking like, is this just me now? Is this the rest of my life? Because I didn't understand those components that were contributing to it, how my mind was interpreting it or any of that. I just thought mm. this is me now, I guess. So <laughs> that's something I really want to lean into that you talk about in the book is understanding how our mind works. And so, you know, what is the root of anxiety? Let's start there. Let's, let's talk like, what does it stem from? It comes from probably from a survival mechanism, okay. uh, which is based on fear. Yep. Uh, so fear, helpful, 
(laughs) You know, it helps us survive. You see danger, you run away and you live. Uh, You know, that's the reward is you Mm -hmm. kind of live. But the idea here is we form any type of behavior or habit where we learn, you know, most of our our automatic behaviors through either positive or negative reinforcement. So the negative reinforcement is, you know, a trigger, a behavior and a result. So you mm-hmm. see the saber, you know, the whatever, the proverbial saber tooth tiger or whatever it is, yeah. you see the email from your boss that says, hey, we need to talk. Yeah. Uh, and then what we tend to do is we run away. So we're like, oh, not going to open that one yeah. <laughs> until, you know, until I'm, I'm taking some deep breaths. <laughs> Three and emails then, later, they're wondering where we are. Yeah, yeah. And Where's then the result. The rabbit hole. We're trying to figure out what it could be. Yeah, right. And you know, throw caution to the wind and open the email. He's at, yes. He's just actually emailing us to let us know we're all getting new computers for remote learning. So no big deal. Right. Right. So that's the basic survival mechanism. And that is the oldest, strongest part of our brain. Mm-hmm. On top of this was layered literally what's called the new brain, the neocortex. Mm-hmm. And that helps us survive in a different way, which is through thinking and planning. Mm-hmm. Yet it needs uh, precedent, so previous experience. So if we know, for example, using your the email boss thing. Um, so if we know that our boss is a nice person and whatever, and they're, they've got our back, yeah. that precedent helps our brain project into the future like, oh, maybe this email is just going to help me get promoted or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if our previous experience is, you know, boss hates me, wants to get me fired any way that she or he can, then, yeah. our, you know, we, we might have a different projection into the future. But that's what our brain does is it takes past experience, projects it onto the future based on current information. Mm-hmm. Yet if we don't have current information, and tell me if this analogy goes too far because I'm just riffing with this. Nope. Um, if we don't have current information, for example, we haven't opened the email, our brain starts thinking of all the what if scenarios, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? And that's when that survival mechanism flips and turns into anxiety, which ironically makes our thinking and planning brain go offline. Yeah. It just shuts it down. Yes. So going back to that, I think that's exactly too what we saw play out this year, because I know in the book you talk about uncertainty and how that plays into anxiety. And I think we've lived an entire year, more than a year now of uncertainty and yes, yes. I think this level of uncertainty that we're seeing, the scope of it, is something that most of us haven't necessarily experienced in our lifetimes at this point. Mm-hmm. And yes. so I think that there are so many people that we don't have that information to go off of. Would you say Absol- that's accurate? Yes, absolutely. What was that? There was an old movie, Mel Gibson in uh, Sigourney Weaver, like the year of living dangerously. Uh, we have, we're, we're, you know, we have a year of living uncertainly or whatever the word yeah. would be, you know, cause it's just been constant uncertainty. I mean, I honestly, and we'll, I want to get into this too, but I feel like every time that I peek my head out online, it's like, there's something new to be uncertain about. And it's yes. just like this overkill. So we're all experiencing it. And you know, it's something that's interesting for me. And I found that while reading your book, I, I can kind of understand how this plays out is that it's almost been this slow boil. So, mm-hmm. you know, we started off like, okay, this is coming. We need to get our supplies. All right. We get our toilet paper, our masks, whatever, hand sanitizer. And then it's just kind of like compounded. And I've noticed for myself, I have subconsciously developed these things and like thought patterns and habits through the year, whether it's now doom scrolling, trying to get information or whatever it is that I didn't realize during the course of this last year was adding up to be a disaster. And then here we are now, March, 2021. And I'm like, how did I become such a hot mess? And I can now look back and be like, well, this or this. And at the (laughs) time you don't realize it, but you've almost made these new neural connections that are steeped in anxiety and fear that you don't necessarily realize in that moment at the time, but it builds up to this habit or now this like addictive, anxious coping mechanism. Brad, guess what? What's that? We have a new supporter of Get Wealthy. Yay! I'm really excited about this one. So backstory, my friend, my dearest friend, Mm -hmm. Kristen Beamer and her husband, Mike, um, started sharing this product. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, crap. If Kristen loves it this much, I know I'm going to love it. We're like the same person. It's really weird. (laughs) We like the same shit. We order the same stuff at the restaurant. Yep. 
Um, we like the same clothes. Like, it's very, Weird. very, very close. Weird. Um, so I'm like, I've got to try this because I have been wanting to find a product like this that I really love because mm-hmm. I haven't been eating as well as I usually like. I want something to supplement it. Okay. And so with that, what do we got? We reached out Athletic Greens. Sweet. And I love the product. It is so fantastic. All right. You've had it. I have. You like it. I do. Um, Athletic Greens is, let's just break it down. It's basically a powder you mix into your ice water. It's a greens powder, yeah. It's a greens powder. Uh, There's 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, which is something that's important to me. It's sourced super well, super clean. Because a lot of times with vitamins and supplements, you don't know what you're getting. This is absolutely clean. It tastes great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have it first thing in the morning. And I feel really good. I was going to say, how do you feel after you have it? I feel really good. Um, so here's some of the stuff that it does help support. Okay. Digestion, gut health, and liver support. Mm-hmm. So digestion, there's prebiotics in it, which is phenomenal. Um, nervous system, immune system support, mm-hmm. which is great, including vitamin C, niacin, vitamin B6, all of this. And this is all highly absorbable, too, because you know how sometimes with vitamins, you're not getting the full capacity. Right. This one, you are. Um, antioxidants and superfoods. And you know that I love adaptogens. Mm-hmm. There's adaptogens in here. There's um, beetroot powder, ooh, carrot ooh. root powder. My favorite root powders. Spinach leaf powder. Reishi. <laughs> you know I lo- I'm a sucker for like, I really <laughs> am, you guys. I feel like I am so thrilled. So we have partnered with them to share their products with you. You can use our link to place your order it's in the show notes Mm -hmm. and you know what i feel good that i can have that in the morning and then know that my nutritional needs needs are met yeah not to say you can slack off on the rest you're not gonna just drink athletic greens (laughs) breakfast lunch and dinner but it's just such an easy way to take supplements it's a great insurance policy yes making sure that your nutritional needs needs are met meat 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 (laughs) do not mock me (laughs) Make sure that your nutritional needs are met and then everything else is... Well, here's the thing. I'm like horrible about remembering to take supplements. Yes, you are. But this is now part of my morning ritual and it makes it so easy. And like how many supplements I've had to take like this and this and this. And then you're like 20 pills deep. It is so nice to just drink it down (laughs) and it tastes great. If you guys would like to order, check out the show notes. Use the link there. Um, I think you'll be very happy. I agree. Yes, yes. Uh, it's <laughs> like it's, 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 what you would it's say. like that. Yeah, that um, the frog in the pot, you know, and it's the water is cool, and then you slowly turn on the heat, and it doesn't realize that it's getting boiled. Exactly. That that's us. Yes. And if you look at it, you know, this really is the year of living anxiously because uh-huh. we've seen anxiety rates skyrocket, and we've you know our brains are really just set up to try to deal with that anxiety with quick fixes. So mm-hmm. our brain says, Ooh, that's unpleasant. Make it go away. And so we say, Oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to eat this food to soothe myself a little bit, or I'm going to drink alcohol. We've seen alcohol rates go, you know, alcohol drinking go way up. Yep. Uh, social media, you know, Netflix is, is having a banner year. Uh, <laughs> so like, they are loving our, our anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> binge watching, you know, we're, we're a binge watching booze, drinking ice cream, eating, you know, um, coping mechanism, hoping, thinking, okay, well, just one more month and then I'll quit all these habits, just one more month. But they, you know what? Every time we do them, they get reinforced so that they're even stronger. Right. Because it's- And they don't fix anything. They don't actually fix the root cause of the issue. No, it makes it worse. Mm -hmm. It's just this, you know, sum of total. Just kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Yes, totally. I mean, the real winners here are Netflix, dryers, and Twitter, probably. (laughs) 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 <laughs> we're all like miserable because of it. Yes. Um, okay. So, you know, we kind of understand this problem that we're all experiencing. And I venture to say, and I'm curious if you've seen it, people that haven't even necessarily experienced anxiety in the past chronically or regularly are experiencing it for the first time and not knowing what it is. I would say, well, we probably all have experienced yeah. anxiety at some point in our That's lives. True. But I would say certainly, so for example, anxiety disorders, the diagnosis of these disorders have gone up 287% in a year. 
Yes. And one in five people that have been diagnosed with COVID uh, had, or COVID-19, have been uh, newly diagnosed with a mental health disorder. I don't like the word disorder, but that's what we have. Uh, And this is this is people that have never had mental health issues before, at least diagnosed ones. So yeah. he, we're seeing huge spikes here. Yeah. That's something actually I've been really interested in and speak is the long COVID. And I feel that's something like, why is, why are we not talking about this enough? Because, you know, everyone's saying, Oh, well, their survival rate is this, but yes, you can survive, but you're now have this crippling anxiety or these other chronic health issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so leading to even more uncertainty, like we don't know, like we don't know what this is. And we, yeah. if somebody has longer lingering issues, they don't know how long they're going to have them. And yeah. the researchers and doctors are trying to figure out what the heck it is, yeah. you know, what's going on. It, yeah. A lot of uncertainty there. Yeah. So how do we start scaling this back? Because, you know, I, I'm not going to be so emboldened to say there is a light at the tunnel, but I do feel that we are seeing positive changes that we can start incorporating. We can start getting rid of some of this stuff that we've built up to essentially protect ourselves that isn't. So where do we start? Yes. I I think the place to start is really understanding how our minds work. Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't know how our minds work, how can we possibly work with them? We're just, you know, groping around in a dark room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, what I do in my clinic is I take about 30 seconds as part of my clinical history that I'm taking from a a new patient. Mm -hmm. And I map out their basic habits around, let's say anxiety with them. Uh, And we actually, we create a habit mapper that anybody can use. So anybody can do this. uh, We have a website, mapmyhabit.com that uh, redirects to my website. Uh, So folks can download a free habit mapper. Anybody can do this. And the idea is you know, start going through your day and just mapping out where you're automatically reaching for the ice cream or the Netflix or social media or whatever, mm-hmm. and start to see what's the trigger, what's the behavior, and what's the result. And I usually have people start with the behavior, especially if they're right in the middle of it, because they know, oh, here's me worrying, or mm-hmm. here's me procrastinating or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then they can map it out to the trigger. It could be a thought. It could be something they saw. It could be a bunch of different things. The trigger is actually the least important part. Mm-hmm. And then they can map it forward to what am I getting from this? Mm-hmm. And that what am I getting from this is critical for changing behavior. So that first step mapping just helps people get a lay of the land to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And often just mapping itself when people start to see how their mind works already alleviates some anxiety because they're less uncertain about what's going on. They've got certainty. Oh, this is my brain doing its thing. Yeah. I even had a patient who used to, used to use the mantra when she get anxious, she go, oh, that's just my brain, you know, to remind herself that it was just her brain getting in this habit loop of getting wound up when it didn't, you know, wasn't, there wasn't threat, there wasn't danger. She didn't need to be afraid. It's the mechanical function of it. Yes. Yeah. To help us survive. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So we map that out and then I would guess the result and paying attention to the result, like you said, that's got to be the most important. Bingo. Yes. So our brains, I I hate to break this to anybody listening, but um, if you've tried willpower to overcome any habit and you've failed, you are with the majority, like 99% of people out there because, you know, willpower is more this myth than muscle. And I mention this because often we think, oh, I'm anxious or we map it out and we say, okay, well, I just, I'll just stop doing that. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know, there's this great skit from Bob Newhart from the 1970s. He was this comedian uh, called Just Stop It, where a woman walks into a therapist's office and he basically leans over his desk and she says, oh, I have this problem. And she says, just stop it, you know, and then that's the whole, you know, it keeps going back and forth. <laughs> oh, done, easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish my patients could walk into my clinic and they'd say, oh, I could just say, just stop smoking, just stop overeating, just stop worrying, you know, and it would work. That's not how our brains work. Yeah. So how our brains do work is through this reward-based learning system. So the the key there is how rewarding a behavior is will determine whether we do it again. So something's perceived by our brain as rewarding, or we're doing it just habitually because it was perceived that way in the past, then we're going to keep doing it until we update that reward value. And the only way to update the reward value is through bringing awareness to it. I can give you an example if helpful, but I'll pause there. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it does. Okay. 
So a couple of examples, uh, my patients who want to quit smoking, yep. what I do is the opposite. I say, okay, go ahead and smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. And they look at me like I'm crazy, but I say, no, when you smoke next time, really pay attention to every aspect. What's it feel like as that smoke goes in your mouth, goes into your lungs? What's it smell like? What's it taste like? And they realize that cigarettes taste like crap. Yeah. And it takes, we do the same thing with people who overeat. So we have this eat right now app, you know, that got these really strong results. We embedded this tool right in the app to have, help them pay attention as they overeat. And it take, we just had this paper accepted for publication, I think last week or the week before where we showed that it takes as few as 10 or 15 times of people paying attention as they overeat for that reward value to drop to the point where it drops below the value of not overeating. So they can start to shift that behavior pretty quickly That's cool. simply through updating. Yeah. And it makes sense because our brains are immensely adaptable. We have to be able to adapt quickly to a changing environment. And, you know, it's kind of like, you, you know, you can't get chased 10 times by a saber tooth tiger before you decide that it's dangerous, right? Yeah. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to get out of there the first time or you're dead. Yeah. So the the key here is remembering, oh, our brains are pretty plastic. And the more quickly we learn how unrewarding a behavior is, the more quickly we will change it. Okay. So that's the second step. Okay. So like, for example, with smoking or overeating, our bodies also, our brains are also on autopilot. So we're just picking it up. We're smoking the cigarette, we're eating and whatever without thinking about it. But the moment that we can start actually taking, turning that autopilot off and putting mindfulness behind it and have our brain start paying attention to what we're actually doing and taking in those, this tastes, you know, cigarettes taste disgusting or my stomach feels terrible now. We're now reprogramming our brain any way we like we would do a computer to say, I don't like this. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And we can include worry, procrastination, all the anxiety habit loops in that same equation, right? When yeah. we see that worrying doesn't keep our family members safe, it doesn't, it actually makes it harder for us to think and plan. Um, and it makes us feel more anxious because it feeds back and makes us feel, oh, no, you know, oh, I didn't think about that. That's a really bad scenario. You know? <laughs> Would you recommend uh, journaling this as you do it? And does that it, like increase it even more by like actually writing it down? It depends on how somebody journals. Okay. So if somebody journals to map out their habit loops and see the process and become aware of it so it's not automatic, helpful. If somebody journals and they just get lost in the story, then that's probably just, yeah, they're just going to reinforce it. So maybe something bulleted like when I worry, it puts my family at risk or whatever it is, you know? Yes. So concise, maybe bullet the action, the um, result, keep it simple like that. Yes. And I would say keep the, it's even helpful to keep the result at the embodied feeling because often our brains try to figure stuff out and then then we get lost in that story of, you know, planning or trying to figure out the root causes and trying to solve way down in the future, which we have generally have no control over. So it's really about the immediate result because that's how we learn is through immediate feedback. And so it's like, how does it feel when I worry? Oh, I get more anxious. Keep it that simple. Okay. So don't think of like long-term effects. It's like in this moment, this is how it feels. Yes. Yes. That's the strongest type of learning. Okay. As you're describing this whole process, it just dawned on me that this happened to me yesterday. (laughs) I didn't even realize realize like what it was. So, Hmm. um, well, now you have to tell us. Well, yeah. So I I was kind of running late to work. So I didn't, I always take my, my lunch with me. So I didn't have food. And so then I get to the point kind of running around. I get a little stressed. I was like, I don't, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. It's like, it's my first, my mind first goes to like junk food, Taco Bell. And I haven't had Taco Bell and I don't know. (laughs) I don't know when the last time we've had Taco Bell. Yeah. It's it's been, it's been a long time. And so like, I'm thinking this and then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, whenever I eat Taco Bell, like my stomach just like (laughs) cramps up and it's this horrible experience. So like, why would I do that to myself? And I kind of like went off in a different direction. But it's like, bingo, yeah, that's it. Like, as you're describing it, I, I literally thought like, all right, well, how would I feel if I got that? 
like my mind kind of wanted, you know, was interested in it. And it's like, no, that would actually make me feel horrible. So, so, so okay. So and Dr. Judd, tell us if this is accurate. So how can we then, cause it sounds like you successfully got your brain to your neocortex thinking mm-hmm. rationally. How can we like kind of break that sooner? Because when we're hungry, I mean, I'm irrational when I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How could we- yeah, what do they call it? Hangry when, you know, when we get all <laughs> totally. peeved and. Well, the, so- the, the end result of this whole story isn't as ideal as I would like. I, I didn't gravitate towards like a plate of vegetables. I ended up getting a delicious burrito, but. But <laughs> not a Taco Bell burrito. <laughs> but not Taco oh Bell. <laughs> I hope you threw veggies on it. Sure. Um, <laughs> okay. So then how can we kind of, and what I really enjoyed, well, not enjoy, enjoyed is a, a, I appreciated in the book were the correlations between addiction and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like going back to Brad's burrito story. <laughs> how can we kind of almost break into that? Uh, I don't, I don't know the clinical terms you would use that moment of, you know, this primitive brain teeth, taking control, making our choices, because then our new brain is offline. How can we kind of reduce that time that it takes to move into that rational brain? Like what, are there any things we can do? There are are things that we can do. Okay. And this taps actually into the same reward-based learning system. So our brain, if we can help our brain see that the old behavior is not helpful, it becomes disenchanted, right? We become less excited to smoke the cigarette, to overeat, to worry. And that opens up the space for what I call the BBO, the bigger, better offer. And if we can see that seeing the process earlier is better than not seeing it earlier, it's going to naturally train our brain to look out for it more. Okay. I'm writing all this down too. Okay. So let's talk about that bigger, better offer. So basically we are taking that old story and offering our brain a new story. And that partly comes from this process of, you know, paying attention, turning off autopilot, putting mindfulness behind it, and then creating a narrative that is better. Like, would you say it is well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you there. Okay. Sorry. No, please. I don't. would suggest that the best narrative is yep. the most accurate one. Okay. <laughs> so, so just in case your listener is thinking, oh, we need to create a narrative because often there's this thing in positive psychology around, you know, just thinking good thoughts and this and that. Yeah. That doesn't work. Okay. Uh, so. No, yeah. The, and, and so I just, I'm not, I'm sure you weren't saying that, but just to be clear for anybody listening, the idea here is for our brain to get the most accurate information that always wins because okay. in the end, you know, that, that information is going to come out. Okay. You can only bear a story so long before it shows right. up somewhere. <laughs> I, we always know our bodies. Remember our minds. Remember? Yes. Okay. So and our, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, our, and our bodies and minds are the most calibrated systems in the, in the, in the world, you know, we yeah. can try to, you can't design a food that tastes better than reg, than real food. Right. right? right. You can design yeah. it, you can design it to be addictive, but that doesn't mean it tastes better. It just yeah. means we want to eat more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what would an example of this be creating, um, a more accurate narrative versus a best narrative? And let's use it in foods of term. Let's try one in terms of food because I think that's one we can all really relate to. Um, so we'll kind of pull Brad's <laughs> Taco Bell. You want the Taco Bell. What would be a more accurate story versus like, okay, well, I'm just going to go get a salad with dressing on the side kind of not realistic situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I can also illustrate this. Uh, let's start with Brad's and then I can also give another example if it's helpful. I was thinking one from my own life that you made me think of, but the idea here, so I would ask you, Brad, you know, what do you get when you eat the taco? Like, what's it feel like after, right afterwards? Um, <laughs> you don't have to put too many details. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say like the, the, right when you eat it, there's it's satisfying, but then I, it feels like the stomach just kind of goes into a ball in about 30 okay. minutes. <laughs> okay. So how did that compare to that burrito? Um, it was, the burrito was, was, was great. Just all the way through. <laughs> was it more it, satisfying it, than it was 30 much, seconds? It was much more satisfying, yeah. 
Yeah. And so there already, you've just, all you need to do is compare the two and help your brain remember that. And then it will naturally pick the more rewarding option in the future because it sees, oh, that's the bigger, better offer. And especially if we can link in the things like it, not only, you know, like you're saying, it was satisfying all the way through, but I like to look from my own experience at, you know, do I get sustained energy or do I get a sugar rush and crash or, you know, do I feel grumpy after eating, you know, X amount or do I feel compelled to eat more when I'm not even hungry, which is a lot of these food items are designed to do. And you bring in all those and you get this composite reward value that is literally a no brainer. So, yeah, I like that. I, I love how you're compart- you can compartmentalize it in a way that it's like, like you said, understanding how your brain works. And once you understand it, you can program it. Yes. Yes. And the best part about this is you don't need to know code to program. Mm-hmm. All you need is awareness because our yeah. brain reprograms itself. It's constantly reprogramming saying, oh, is this better than this? And so all we need to do is bring awareness in and not fool ourselves and say, oh, well, it wasn't so bad that I drank eight drinks last night. No. You know, what's it feel like? What's that hangover feel like the next morning? You got to pay attention. I mean, in, fa- in complete honesty, that's why I don't drink is because I <laughs> get the worst hangovers and it's, mm-hmm. it's not worth it. My body knows that. I, that is mm-hmm. my narrative is that this is never worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah, another great example, right? You're, yeah. You don't have to convince yourself or you tell yourself or read studies that alcohol, or, you know, isn't good for you. Yeah. You just pay attention to your own experience. Your brain does the rest of the work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Real Coco, which I would say, Brad, Real Coco is my favorite coconut anything company. Actually, it's not. It's my favorite coconut anything company, but it's also my favorite coconut milk company and my favorite coconut water company and my favorite dairy-free creamer company. So it's the three stars out of three stars. Um, Well, then there you go. I have been raving about their products for, I think it's been like two years now on my Instagram. And I wanted to like tell this really quick story about how it actually even came about that they're even sponsoring our podcast, which makes me so excited. Um... We started buying their coconut milk mm-hmm. at Costco a couple years ago. Yeah. And it's so good. It's so good. Um, and I just started sharing it. And I, that replaced my almond milk. Like, mm-hmm. that's my alt milk of choice. And I started sharing it on my Instagram. And they just started responding back like, oh, thank you so much. It's a new company. And we really just built like a really lovely friendship you know, relationship over DM. And I was just happy to share their products because I really do like supporting companies that are getting off the ground. Yeah. And so, um, as time went on, you know, it just blossomed naturally and organically. And I love having all good relationships. Yeah. Well, and then I think it really took off when they came out with their creamers. I was like, Oh man, now they really have got me. Now it's like not just this coconut milk, these creamers. I will never have another dairy free. I sometimes will take a sip after I pour it in. You see me do it. I don't think I have. I actually. take a sip out of the carton of just No, <laughs> if I if I'd seen that, I would have called you out on that. So I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> okay. The good news for our audience members is they are offering a discount. Uh if you use the code GETWEALTHY15, GETWEALTHY15 on Amazon, that's good for 15% off your purchase, which is phenomenal. And there's original and vanilla. I like both. Okay. I have a slight preference for vanilla just because it's like vanilla. Yeah. It's a little kick, but honestly, they're both delicious. So again, that's GETWEALTHY15 for your real cocoa purchase on Amazon. One thing I, I want to get in, kind of change the topic a little bit. Um, one of the things I know you talk about in your book and work is social contagion. And mm-hmm. I feel that is super relevant now, like so much of what you're writing about more than ever and how it's, it almost makes me feel like we could just like, we're just all catching each other's anxiety. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so it's you, as contagious <laughs> as uh, COVID over here. Around. Yeah. I would suggest it's even more contagious. You don't know what the R not of anxiety is, but the, you know, it's certainly very infectious. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. Somebody, anybody can sneeze on your brain from anywhere in the world. Yeah. That's basically what it is. So that's the spread of emotion from one person to another. Somebody needs the definition of what social contagion is. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, you go on social media uh, and, you know, people are freaking out. So you're going to catch that oh, contagion yeah. and you freak out or they're outraged or whatever. Yeah. You know, these things are really contagious. As an example, fake news spreads five times faster than real news on social media. So there's an example of, I don't know what the R not would be for that if you calculate that, <laughs> but basically right. it's, it's a lot more contagious when people are freaking out. Yeah. And I'd say that this fake news is emotionally based usually, which is oh, absolutely. appealing to people because it's triggering your emotions and then you yes. react to it. And your body then processes it through that lens. Yes. So fear and anxiety, you know, they make our, especially anxiety makes our thinking and planning brain go offline. Fear actually happens. The fear mechanisms happen faster than we can even think. Cause you, you can't, you know, step out in the street and then look at the bus and go, Hmm, is that a bus? Is it going to hit me? Yeah. You know, splat. Uh, so it's like, we jump out in the street, we see the bus, we jump back and then we have a fear response and anxiety is even a slower burn than that. Yeah. Um, so talking about tools we can do. So, you know, for myself, I've deleted Twitter off my phone. At first, I found it very helpful in the beginning of the year to be finding information about what's going on in our world. But fast forward a year later, it's, it's not that. And we've just absorbed everybody's energy and emotions mm -hmm. around us. And we're kind of screwed. <laughs> I feel like I'm like, wait, what's going Where's on? We're all screwed. Oh, yes, no. What happened to um, me? My rational brain is now like this and that. And then, you know, I'll be honest. Like part of me is like, oh, well, you can't just shut out the world. That's coming from a, you know, a place of like, la, 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 la. And I, <laughs> I stopped myself because, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have this mechanism to connect us. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that didn't mean that people didn't care about topics. It doesn't mean that they weren't informed. It just maybe means we had better um, s sources for finding actual information versus just Joe Blow down the streets response to wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like now everybody can be a restaurant critic, yeah. despite the fact that they may not be the best person to really, you know, detect the nuance in a different food. But suddenly, you know, everybody's a restaurant critic, everybody's, a, you know, Airbnb critic, whatever, yeah. you know. And I think people love the power of that too. Everyone's an epidemiologist. Yeah. Yes. Everyone's an epidemiologist. Everyone's an immunologist, you know, suddenly, you know, so if we, if we look at this, this is about our brains trying to decrease uncertainty, right? Uh -huh. So they go, it's, you can think of just like our stomach rumbles when we're hungry, uh -huh. our brain rumbles when we need information because information is food for our brain. Uh -huh. So, but in the past, you know, there were, you know, things like checking sources before something got published yeah. oh. in the newspaper. <laughs> Data? Is that what you're talking about? Like I know. our grandparents did. That was back in the like 70s. Yeah, I know. We're so post-fact now. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, we don't need any of that stuff. No. It's much better to just live constantly anxious <laughs> when anybody Instagram. can say anything and it's true. Yep. Yes. So just to dial it back to, yeah. you know, pragmatic pieces here. Yeah. It, this all comes back to really seeing how our brains work. It's not that Twitter's bad. I remember when I first started using Twitter and I got totally hooked in for two weeks where I was just like constant, you know, it's like, oh, what if I say this? Will people respond? You know, it's like, oh no, you know, are they going to like my tweet? And then I realized, wow, that was a huge waste of time. Yeah. And it was much easier to just bring in these own techniques myself and say, what am I getting when I go on Twitter? Yeah. So when I have an urge to check Twitter, I'll ask myself, okay, when's the last time I checked? Uh -huh. Do I need to actually check? And yeah. then I can see, you know, or do I need to post something? Because Twitter is helpful for spreading information, yeah. hopefully information yeah. that's been vetted, <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> um, accurate information from good news sources. So I will try to, you know, I'll try to share articles that I find helpful and yeah. I'll try to, you know, share things. Uh, but it's important for me not to be doing that just in order to become that rat that's pressing a lever for a yeah. reward, you know, yeah. and like 
tw- getting a like on Twitter is not going to make me a happier person. It's just a like on Twitter. But if I get caught up in it, I forget that that's actually true. Right. And so then I can compare that. Well, what's it like when I'm constantly checking Twitter versus when I'm actually not doing that, getting a bunch of work done, spending more quality time with my wife, you know, exercising, whatever. And then it's a no brainer. So I can, when I think about Twitter, I don't feel that, I don't feel like I'm totally sucked in. It's not like I'm getting sucked into a raging river. It's like, I know how to swim and I can jump in when I want to. You're using it as a tool. Yes. It's a, you know, or distraction. Exactly. Exactly. Our phones are, are neutral. You know, some call them these weapons of mass distraction, which is true if we don't know how our minds work. Yeah. And it's also, they're just phones. It's helpful to, if I need to navigate Boston, you know, that, that place is a mess. If you try to, you know, navigate the streets without a GPS, it's helpful to have my phone. Yeah. I feel like now it's just like the easiest thing we can do is what do I need to, before we just like, because Brad's noticed it, like I'll just be sitting there and it's become like a nervous twitch that I just like grab my phone and I look mm-hmm. at it and I just put it down. Cause I'm like, I don't need it, but I'd like, yeah. I just keep grabbing it, but I put it down, which is good. I've a conversation that. with me. So I take a little offense to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some negative reinforcement. <laughs> but I put it back down. Um, so thinking of it, like, what is the tool I am seeking right now? Or like if I'm going on to Twitter, what is the information I am looking for right now? Yes. Versus again, going into this passive autopilot of just going through the motions. It's putting that mindfulness back into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, I love this about our brains. It's the process is very simple. It takes one thing, which is awareness. It's funny. I had to write a whole book about this, but (laughs) (laughs) people don't have to read the book. They can just read, you know, just remember the word awareness, tattoo it on your forehead backwards. So every time you look in the mirror in the morning, it reminds you, right? So, so awareness, but so awareness not only helps us map out our old habits, but it also helps us become disenchanted with say Twitter or the taco or whatever, And then it also helps us find these bigger, better offers. Awareness itself is the bigger, better offer. So if I'm getting caught up in anxiety, I can ask myself, what's it feel like to be anxious and get curious right in that moment? Mm -hmm. And that curiosity. So anxiety makes us feel closed and curiosity makes us feel more open. And you can't be closed and open at the same time. Yeah. So here, when we're anxious, we can get curious instead of going, Oh, I'm anxious. Like, what can I do to make this go away and go, Oh, what does this feel like in my body? You know, what are my thoughts? And then it opens us already where we can actually move into, and I write about this in the book, uh, we can move into growth mindset so that we can actually learn from the experience rather than freak out about it. And we can move from, you know, going into the panic zone. We can dial that into going into our growth zone. Oh, I like that. I like it because it feels very productive too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> learning is, I mean, who doesn't like to learn? Right. I, I actually love learning. I'm kind of, maybe I'm obsessed with it, but I really do like the more we know, the better off we are. Yes. That's how we survive is information. Uh, right. Absolutely. Okay. I have one last question for you because I feel like, I feel like with all of our guests, I could sit here and like talk all day with you guys. <laughs> so I have to mind a schedule. Um, one thing that I want to end this with is, so I feel it's like, how do we make like between willpower to habit? How do we, it's like, how do we go from this empty willpower to habit? Like, what is that bridge there? (laughs) Yes. We, our world is enamored with willpower. You know, this is an, this is an antiquated thing that has actually been around since antiquity. Uh, (laughs) there was a, there was a relief on the Parthenon that showed that was a, a horse and a rider with this rider trying to tame the horse. The horse is passion and the rider is reason. Okay. Well, who's stronger? Passion. Yes. And is it, has the horse become less strong? No. Okay. <laughs> you know, just in modern day, we, you know, that I think therefore I am and all this stuff. It gives us this this false hope that we somehow can think our way out of things, you know, well, I I can't just tell myself to stop worrying. It doesn't work that way. So this really goes back to seeing how 
unhelpful it is to try to force ourselves to do things and how helpful it is just to dial up our curiosity. I mean, what feels better being curious or trying to grit our teeth and force our, you know, bang our head against a wall more and more and more what's going to break our head or the wall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it's just like, why do you think we're so enamored with willpower? Cause it's supposed to, it kind of comes across like this easier method or brain can process that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, probably easier. <laughs> right? Easier. I don't know. If it's, it just feels like we're in control. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, it's up to me. It's like these diet programs that have been around for decades and decades yeah. where they say, you know, just eat the salad instead of cake. And the, the formula is correct. I even learned this in medical school, you know, more calories out than in. Yeah. But, but with, they didn't read the fine print, which is, you know, yes, that's an accurate formula, but that's not how you actually can change behavior because right. that's where yo-yo dieting comes from. And then yeah. the diet programs can say, well, the formula is correct. You failed. You have to sign up for another year. <laughs> <laughs> right. You got to do it again. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that, this has been so fascinating. Your book, Unwinding Anxiety, is out now. You are a New York Times bestseller. You, that is so well-deserved. This book is phenomenal. I couldn't recommend it enough. Can you tell our audience um, the different places they can find your work? Sure. So I guess, the, what did they say? Anywhere books are sold. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so folks can find the book anywhere it's, books are sold. Yeah. Uh, they can also find an, uh, it on my website, which is drjud.com, D-R-J-U-D.com. Okay. Uh, so there's a description of the book and then places they can book, you know, they can buy it if they want to support their independent booksellers or whatever. And then we also, I mentioned some of these apps. Um, there's more information on the apps on my website, as well as a bunch of free resources. One thing that I love to do is try to make science accessible and digestible for folks. So, so we put out some animations that describe things like everyday addictions and um, habit formation and reward learning and all those things. We put those in some animations that, um, that might be helpful for folks to take a look at as well. And that's all on my website. And I will say I've visited your website. There are so many resources out there and it's really appreciated that you have made it so accessible. Well, thank you. It's rewarding for me to help people. <laughs> so it's self-serving. So, yeah, well, it feels good. I mean, what else would I, yeah. I can't think of what else I'd rather be doing. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why I'm a researcher and a, and a clinician, but you know, it, it does feel pretty good. <laughs> so Honestly, I'm going to keep doing it. That's how I feel about this podcast. I feel like mm. it's selfish. I feel like it's my own way of like, finding all these amazing people with so much information that I get to talk to. And I really feel like the luckiest person in the world. So I feel <laughs> like I'm being selfish with it, but we're also sharing it with people and, you know, there's an altruistic component to it. Absolutely. You know, something that, that benefits us doesn't necessarily need to be selfish. Oh, you know, I love that. That's absolutely, that is so true. And I don't think it's something we keep in mind enough. Yeah, we're, well, I think we have this martyr mentality in the world where we think, you know, I've got to help other people. And if I do anything nice for myself, then yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a selfish person. Well, you know what? We're not really separate from other people. And yeah. if you look at physicians, right, we, that's why we get burnt out is because we don't take care of ourselves. And yeah. then how can we possibly help our patients? So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really, it, it's a separation that we create that's false. It's really, we're all in this together and yeah. we should be taking care of ourselves just as much as we should be taking care of everybody else and not think of it in terms of I'm being selfish, but in in terms of how can I be most helpful for the world? And if we're healthy, we're going to be able to help others. And if you've got a great podcast that disseminates good information, game on. Yeah. It's the best of both worlds. Yes. (laughs) So thank you so much. We will link to all of your resources and your book and your website in our show notes. So our audience can find you there. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Are you ready to untangle your necklace now? Oh, yes, I am. (laughs) Uh, How cool was Dr. Judd to speak with? Oh, yeah, he was was great. Uh, We've said this before. We actually said it right after we were done recording is that not only do I feel like we have such amazing intelligent guests in their field. Oh, the intelligence is like off the charts. It makes me feel bad about myself. But. Oh, it makes me feel like I'm with my people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It makes me feel like a dummy. <laughs> 
Um, Here I am, you know, I'm not getting, you know, my PhD, multiple PhDs and multiple masters. I'm just wasting away. You and your one master. Yeah, my, my, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we sound really obnoxious right now. <laughs> my okay. point, I, I meant to be very, just complimentary to our guests that they're very, very smart, amazing people. Very renowned. Yes. They're fantastic. But here's the thing. They're so knowledgeable in their fields. But not only that, we said, like, how are we getting, we have such cool guests to talk to. Yeah. Like, they're actually really cool that I'd, like, have a drink with them or yeah. really want to hang out with. It'll translate really well to our Netflix show. <laughs> I can't wait. We're going to have, it's going to be like, I imagine this like Brady Bunch opening with all of our guests. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Um, and how cool is it? He, I think it was just three days before we recorded, maybe, maybe less than a week before he hit New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Which I'm like so excited for people when they get that. Like, I think it's such a great accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and well-deserved. This book is phenomenal. Uh, as someone who has struggled with anxiety, you know, my first bout, like I said, kind of in college mm. was one that I really started to understand. Once I understood it, like he said, I could overcome it. Yeah. But this last year was very different. It was this like slow boil, like I kind mm -hmm. of said, that all of a sudden I'm like, holy sh what? What is going on with me yeah. now? Um, so it was kind of like a different way it crept up and I've experienced it. Yeah. So I just think it's just been so much out of our control that's yeah. just kind of heaped on. Yeah. I liked, I liked how he was just really able to break down like essentially like what it is and why it's happening. Yeah. So it's really easy. And he, he does it just so succinctly and so so well that you know you're able to, it it's something that you can actually feel like you can tackle feels very action. tangible yeah that you can take action on it's not this huge overwhelming thing that's kind of not you're not able to deal with now he has like yeah. very actionable ways of dealing with it yeah for sure and i love that he has this background in addiction mm -hmm. and understanding you know what our mind is doing with addiction and the roots of that and how he was able to bridge that to anxiety because it's not something I ever made the connection on before so much in the way I have after reading this book and talking with him and understanding it's kind of these. There's a lot of similar processes going on there. Yeah, this mental kind of repetitiveness. And it, it's just getting into that cycle and breaking it. Yeah. Which we have the ability to do. Our brains is really beautiful thing. Yeah. That does what we say to do or it adapts to whatever environment it's in. Yeah. So. I love talking with him. Again, he'll be a great guest on our future non-existent Netflix show. <laughs> Netflix, if you're listening, let's talk. Um, oh, you want to know something funny that yep. this is going to make me sound like a real moron, but it's okay. That's a great way to introduce it, but go ahead. No, it's funny. So, you know, I dive into the hippie world of spirituality mm -hmm. and you know, I understand how it works for me. And then I also understand there's like a whole level out there that I don't really understand. Not okay. saying that it doesn't exist, that I just don't think we fully understand okay. the mechanics of yet. So okay. that's my disclaimer. So I've had tarot cards pulled okay. and such before. And, you know, for me, there's a novelty to it. It's fun. I, you know, it's interesting. You enjoy, you enjoy the woo. I enjoy the woo. I don't feel like I would make life decisions based on it, <laughs> but it's interesting to just hear other people's insight, however mm -hmm. it comes, whatever, you know. Yeah. So something that's been interesting is that multiple times, like three or four times, I've had an addiction card pulled. Do you remember I've told you this? Oh, uh, yeah. And I thought it was about you. And I'm like, that's so weird because I have not an addictive personality. Like, I'm a very moderate yeah. person. I'm like, I hardly drink. You don't really drink. No. I don't smoke. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a... a no, no, no. That's what I'm yeah. saying is that I was like, not, it has to be about Brad, though, because it's not about me. I'm like, <laughs> is he, like, secretly addicted to something? <laughs> what? I'm like, is this going to be my future? Is he going to get, like, an injury? And then, like, this is predicting, like, he's going to have addiction problems or whatever. And now after this, I'm like, maybe it's this, like, anxious, like addictive oh the dog just walked in that scared me i thought somebody was here especially after telling this like 
stupid <laughs> tarot card story. I get out of here. Um, so now after like making these connections, I'm like, I wonder if it was me because I do have this like part of my personality that's just I can't break. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know what that is, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, this level of like drive or like control or I don't know what it what yeah. it is, but now I'm thinking I have tarot cards. The <laughs> spirit guides are talking to me, telling me I'm addicted to my own you're, thought cycles. And you're trying to blame it on me. Well, who knows? This, <laughs> we still have years together. We'll see what comes up in the future. I might change my mind on this. Okay. If you guys enjoyed our podcast. I'll get addicted to listening to great podcasts. Yeah, that, I mean, that you can get addicted to our podcast. We will be fine with that. Um, in fact, if you find you're addicted, call us. We can have you on as a guest. We'll encourage you to keep it up. <laughs> um, if you find that you love our podcast or even just moderately like it, but want to like be really nice or do a good deed today. If you're somewhat amused by us at all. Yeah, I mean, you can <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, where they're somewhat amusing doesn't really resonate like as a listen now, but it really helps us. I know we say it all the time. I say it. If you could please rate and review us, you guys, it takes 10 seconds. And here's the thing I know how many people listen to our podcast. I know how many have actually gone on to rate and review us. Don't call out our peoples. I'm okay. They, if they're if they're loyal and listening to us, they don't mind. Um, but it, when you're done listening, it takes two seconds to just give us a five stars if you really like it. No, just just if five we're stars. moderately. What did you say? If, uh, if they find us moderately amusing. Well, yeah, but you said something else. I can't remember. That that sounds like a four star for me. But we're at the five stars. Let's like go with we're, five. We're solid at five, and I think that's really nice. And I'm so pleased with how this is growing because it really means a lot to me. I feel like this work means something. And putting it into these bite-sized pieces that make it digestible for us, it's just become my passion. I had an interview earlier this week. Somebody asked, um, it was about my old cookbook. Uh Or not my old cookbook, I mean my three-month-old cookbook. (laughs) You know, that thing. <laughs> you know that thing way back when and they asked if i was writing another one and honestly i i, I was like very like pc about it and i was like no but i want to be like hell no it's <laughs> like this is like so much more meaningful and like so much more up my alley than yeah. doing all that so it really means a lot to me so thank you guys for being here thank you for enjoying us and being a part of this because we really like you. I agree. Bye. See ya.